Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me briefly this evening to the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, a passage written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated, and let's pray. Now, O Lord, we ask simply that you would benefit our souls by your Holy Spirit, that in these brief moments of hearing the word of Christ preached, our Savior may be known to us that the preaching of the word of Christ would be the word of Christ to the covenant people of Christ. On this evening, we pray for a glimpse of our glorious Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think I have to convince you, friend, that you were born into a world full of oppression, full of war, full of anxiety and full of sin. It's a world that you desperately need freedom from. But this world in which you and I live in 2023 is not that different than the world that was some five to seven hundred years before Christ was born when these very words were written. This world of turmoil and oppression and anxiety And sin and corruption was the same world that a king of Israel ruled in when these words were spoken through the prophet Isaiah. I want us to look at these words just for a few moments tonight and consider the glorious reality of the promise of the coming seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Interestingly enough, the first page of Holy Scripture is Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament. And in chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel, 
Matthew quotes from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he quotes from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, boys and girls. That word simply means God with us. Matthew's gospel is quoting hundreds of years before it, words written, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name God with us. But those words were written in a very difficult time, a time full of oppression and anxiety and corruption. Give you a little background to these words in Isaiah chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. You remember King David. He had a son, King Solomon. It was at the end of Solomon's life that the kingdom was divided And this divided kingdom, as it were, existed for hundreds of years. The kingdom was divided in two. Israel with ten tribes and Judah with two tribes. And the kings of Judah were the descendants of David. Around about 740 B.C., halfway in the middle of the divided kingdom, Isaiah writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in Isaiah's writing, his entire book could be summarized in this way. In the first five chapters, God rebukes Judah, that little group of tribes, for their sin against God. In chapters 6 through 12, God redefines the future of His people. He says to these rebellious people, grace is going to be given and sin is going to be taken away. In chapters 13 through 27, God's judgment and grace will be seen as spreading through the world one day. Chapters 28 through 35, God speaks to the entire world. And then in chapters 40 and beyond, there are chapter after chapter, word after word, which all point to the servant of God, the coming Messiah. Trust in God is encouraged as the people await to see God's coming glory. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. But during Isaiah's writing, one of the kings by the name of Ahaz, who was leading God's people, began to doubt, began to trust in princes and in horses and in chariots, And he even makes alliances with other kings, in this case, the Assyrian king. So King Ahaz forms an alliance with the Assyrian king. King Ahaz is even given the Assyrian king gold from the temple to coerce him. This King Ahaz does during Isaiah's time, and he does it because he's trusting in the Assyrian king instead of God. Ahaz's use and trust of the Assyrian king meant that Judah ultimately became indebted to the Assyrians. And so Judah's land ultimately became open to all kinds of Assyrian use. You can read of this in 2 Kings 16. What does that have to do with a virgin conceiving and bearing a son? What does that have to do with our text this evening? The people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. The leader of the nation that is the people of God is trusting in pagan kings instead of in Yahweh. 
He's giving money that should be used for the worship of God to pagan kings. And in the midst of it all, Isaiah with his pen writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, the people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. You see, Isaiah's passage is immediately to Ahaz and his time that God will be with Judah and would protect Judah through a child. But the prophecy is ultimately beyond Ahaz's time. It really has to do with the entire line of David, a line from which Jesus would come. Several chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, when the ministry of Christ, the ministry of Emmanuel, is given, Matthew quotes again from Isaiah's prophecy. And this time he quotes our passage, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. This prophetic message was a message to the people of his day, but it ultimately had to do with God's redemptive purposes throughout the world through Christ. The king in Isaiah's day begins to trust in a pagan leader somewhere else and has even given way to making an alliance with that king, something that he was told he shouldn't do. But in the midst of it all, in very perilous times, in times full of anxiety, times full of oppression, times full of war, times full of corruption and sin, the word of God comes to the prophet Isaiah and says, the people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now, we don't live in Ahaz's day, do we? And yet I would submit to you, that our day feels very much like his day. Let's look briefly at our text and draw three simple lessons. Isaiah is prophesying that these bad plans of King Ahaz will not stand. Look at verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The Messiah would come, and he would begin a worldwide ministry from Galilee. That's what Isaiah says. We must see that the work of Jesus is always described as a kingdom of light. Look at verse 2. The people who've walked in darkness, darkness under sin, darkness under kings like Ahaz, the people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. But this prophecy is not just for the Old Covenant Hebrews. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. The nation which is Hebrews. The nation which is just the people of Abraham has been multiplied. Who, I wonder, will be brought in to this nation? How will this nation be multiplied? How will its joy increase? How will they rejoice before you? like men do when they divide the spoil. When the harvest is over and all the food is brought in, well, it will be the Gentiles. They will be brought in and add to the people of God. This new nation will become the church of God. So notice three simple lessons then. Ahaz, your plans will fail. And in your day, I will do something. But this word of prophecy ultimately is beyond you, Ahaz. 
It has to do with a kingdom which will spread throughout all of the world. And let's see the three things this evening that this kingdom will bring. Look at verse 4. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. The first thing that we see in this prophecy about the coming Christ is that Christ brings rescue from the world. Christ brings rescue from the world. The first reason we as this new nation of God rejoice in Emmanuel is that he will break all oppression. Look at it again. You have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. As on the day of Midian. What did God do in the day of Midian? You may remember, you may not, but this is a reference to Judges chapter 6 and 7 when Gideon, through the power of God, won the battle and conquered oppression over improbable odds. Gideon, a judge of God, defeated oppression with trumpets of 300 men. Now this prophecy of Christ is given in those terms. It's going to be like that. God, the Christ, is going to break oppression. He's going to set His people free. But then look at verse 5. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Perhaps like you, or like me, your TVs or your smartphones or your laptops over the last two months have been flooded with news and pictures of war coming out of the Middle East where one group of terrorists brutally murdered many other individuals. But this is not the only war, is it? We live, as it were, as human beings in a world full of war. Blood stains the very ground that we walk on. War in our neighborhoods, war in our country, war all around the world. But the coming of Christ will not only bring an end to all oppression, it will bring, secondly, rest from the noise of battle. Remember, beloved, this passage is about the coming Christ, ultimately. Every warrior's sandal, some translations say boot, every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. See, this is the second reason that this people of God can rejoice in Emmanuel because he will turn all war into fuel for fire. Now, of course, this includes a reference to earthly wars, just like the people in Ahaz's day. This includes all striving, all battle. Thorns that infest the ground of all of creation. Sons of Adam living under the curse. A curse which involves all manner of labor and work that is difficult. This one will bring rest. We sang it this morning, we'll sing it again. This evening, one of my favorite lyrics during the Christmas season is that third verse of joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. 
far as the curse is found. You see, the coming Christ will end oppression, the oppression of the world that we live in. Yes, the oppression of the Assyrians under a faulty king like Ahaz, but the oppression of all the wicked rulers. But secondly, he will bring rest. And he will turn all of the war and striving of our lives into glorious and sweet rest. But thirdly and finally, in verses 6 and 7, we, sing, we see that Christ brings eternal peace. Look there. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You need to remember that even though we read this on Christmas cards, we hear it read in worship services about this time of year, this was ultimately given to a people in the midst of great uncertainty. People many of whom had a king that was siding with pagans. Hey, we can't trust in God, so we've got to go forge our own way. We've got to take money from the temple and pay a pagan king to help us. And in the midst of that, Christ is proclaimed. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government, yes, where will the government rest? Will it rest in alliances with pagan kings? Will it rest upon the minds and thoughts of sinful kings? No, it will rest upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is indeed the Prince of Peace. Christ brings eternal peace. And look at the titles given for Christ. He is the one upon whom the government will rest. What a glorious word of prophecy in the midst of a time when your king is trusting people that he shouldn't. When your king is looking for earthly alliances to free his people. This one will be the one upon whom the government will rest. You ever feel like the governments of this world are trusting in sinful, faulty alliances. We know and savor the one upon whom the government will rest. His name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Some translations put those together. Some put a comma there. Wonderful Counselor or Wonderful Counselor. But either way, it denotes wisdom. We will have one coming who will be wise. Mighty God. Now, I don't know if all of Isaiah's readers in the midst of their turmoil picked up on the fact that the one coming would be God himself. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Now, it might be tempting to think, well, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's the the eternal Son of God. and, And the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here we have the word Father attributed to the coming Messiah. A Reformed Baptist in the 1700s, John Gill writes these words helpfully on this passage. Everlasting Father, quote, But Christ is a Father with respect to chosen men who were given to Him as His children and offspring in covenant, who are adopted into that family that is named of Him, and who are regenerated by His Spirit and grace. And to these He is an everlasting Father, He was so from everlasting, for regeneration and faith do not make men children, but make them appear to be so. God's elect are children 
previous to the Spirit's work upon them, and even to the incarnation and death of Christ. Adoption is an act of the will of God and covenant from eternity. And Christ is a Father to these unto everlasting. He will never die, and they shall never be left fatherless. But notice that final phrase. When all of the kingdoms of the world in which you live are raging and your own king who is supposed to be a king under Almighty God is making alliances with pagan kings just to try to protect his people, the one that is prophesied to come will be what? A prince of peace. The underlying Hebrew there is Sar Shalom. It's, it's almost as if This one is going to be a czar of peace. He's going to bring eternal peace to his people. Look at verse 7 briefly, and we're finished. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You ever thought about this phrase? You read it on Christmas cards, don't you? Of the increase of his government and peace. It's almost as if there's this idea that there won't just be peace. There will be increase of government and peace forever and ever and ever. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Boys and girls, why is David mentioned here? Well, you remember God had a special promise called a covenant with David. What was that? That from David, the great king, the Messiah would come. And so here, Isaiah is picking up on that, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This king is going to be in David's house. You can read of that covenant in 2 Samuel 7. David's throne will be established forever. Well, we see the end of verse 7. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The New King James renders it judgment and justice. Other translations render this passage Justice and righteousness, similar words. But unlike the current king Ahaz, this king will rule with justice and righteousness. In fact, this king will be one who will bring about the justice of God and the conquering of sin. He will deal with sin. And he will bring about a kingdom of righteousness. And as we close, just think about what the coming Christ would do. Would he not be one who would deal with sin? By taking it on himself, being punished in the place of the sinner who has faith in him? Would he not be one who would take the penalty due for every sinner who trusts in him and die a horrible death, giving his life as a substitute and as a ransom so that sinners who trust in him would be free and that for all of eternity, the only thing stamped on their foreheads, as it were, is righteous? Because they're in Christ. Would not this one who is coming be one who would grant his people by faith his own righteous record? We spoke of it this morning, but we cannot tire of speaking of this glorious truth that Christ, the one coming, the one told through Isaiah's pen, in the days of King Ahaz, the Christ coming would be the one who would live a perfect life and would die a death that he didn't deserve. And that all who have faith in him would get credit for his perfect life. Every last thing required of the sinner 
He would pay for. And every last thing required to enter into glory. Be righteous. Be perfect. He would earn. As he walked on the earth for 30 some years. And as theologians call it, the sweet exchange is that we get Christ's record. And he gets ours. This is not simply earthly peace, but eternal peace. So in the day when the kingdom of God seemed to be full of oppression, full of striving and anxiety, full of the lack of any assurance that there would be peace, in the midst of that very day, God through the prophet Isaiah said, the Messiah, the son of David, he's coming. He will bring rescue from the world. He will bring rest from battle and strife. And He will bring eternal peace. Now Ahaz's day is long gone. But not really. For do we not some 25 to 2700 years later live in a time where there is indeed oppression? Striving, battle, war, bloodshed. When there is indeed an absolute lack of peace. Maybe your heart is filled with a feeling of the lack of peace. Maybe your home is filled with that. Maybe your extended family is filled with that. Our nation certainly is. The words to the people of God in Ahaz's day are words that were fulfilled. And they're words that remind us that He would come and He has come. And he will end oppression. He will bring rest. And he will bring eternal peace. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Turn there with me as we close. There the word of God speaks to this peace that the coming Christ brought. Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice who it is that has peace. It is those who are in Jesus Christ. Those who have peace with God and thus ultimately peace with all others are those who are in Christ by faith. Those who've been justified, declared righteous. God looking at the record of Christ And saying, looking at the record of my son, I declare this one to be righteous. This is the gospel. Do you know this son of God? Maybe this Christmas you've heard all about Jesus. You've sung about him. You've sent Christmas cards about him. You've put up a tree in honor of him or some other manner of things in your house. But maybe tonight the thing that you need to see is that Christ brings peace, but He brings it with particular terms. You must trust in Him. You must leave all your own record behind. You must turn from sin and look to Him, the One who perfectly obeyed in the stead of sinners and the One who paid the price for their redemption. Do you know Him? He is the one promised in Ahaz's day. And he is the one who has come. And he will receive all who come to him.
Let's pray. Living God, you have indeed fulfilled your word. Light has shined in the darkness. A child has indeed been born. And we await that great and glorious day where we see with our eyes the government resting on his shoulders. The one who is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father to all who are in him. But we thank you that in the midst of our own days of turmoil, the message of the incarnation of the Son brings us eternal hope and peace. May we look to him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.